Mental health check-in with Lee. Come on and check-in with me. Mental health check-in with Lee. Come on and check-in with me. Mental health check-in with Lee. Come on and check-in with me. Come on and check-in with me. Mental health check-in with Lee. Welcome, 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 guys, to another episode of Mental Health Check-In with Talik. Today, I have a special guest. This is definitely a special guest. My brother, my friend, my co-facilitator sometimes, AJ. How are you, brother? I'm doing reasonably well today. How about you? I like that. I like that. I'm doing good. <laughs> <laughs> I got to yeah. use that. I got to use that when I'm at work one day. Yeah. <laughs> So let me ask you this first question. I ask all my guests the same question I'm going to ask you. Just because we're friends and you're my brother. I'm still going to ask you it. You know, how is your mental health? Um, today I've got some anxiety. This past week I've had some depression. This hour I'm doing okay. Um, I told you before I got on the podcast, I was worried about, you know, is this on camera? So I was shaving my face. I was doing the whole anxiety yeah. shave <laughs> where I want to look perfect, but um, but yeah. I've, I've been doing okay overall. Um, job change, uh, apartment change, married now, so a lot of life changes. Yeah. Um, but they've they've all turned out all right. So, yeah, that's good. That's good. Um, my um, my last question for you. Before we get to the next question, I like to ask that question: How's your mental health? I feel like that opens the door for somebody that may be struggling to, you know, talk it out. You know, because I could say, AJ, hey, how you doing? You could be like, I'm fine, but you could be struggling mentally. When you yeah. ask somebody, hey, how's your mental health? That open the door to be like, you know what? I'm struggling. I'm not struggling. You know, so I love asking that question. I actually had them on t-shirts that I was selling them one time. How's your mental health? <laughs> That's cool. That's another story. But uh, my next question for you, right? Growing up for you, was it okay not to be okay? No. Um, it was okay to be weird and different and unusual and peculiar and eccentric. Even when I was a kid, um, my parents kind of rewarded that and reinforced that. Um, but it wasn't okay to not be okay. Um, it, it was never seen as like a, you're doing something wrong. You know, yeah. we're angry at you. It was just, um, it was kind of catastrophized a little bit, yeah. um, in that, you know, you were bullied this week yeah. and, you know, they acknowledged that and they treated it. Um, but my mother especially was very protective of me and still is. So when I was bullied, it was a phone call to that, that, um, kid's mom or dad or, or, or both or whatever, um, <laughs> to try to defend me. Um, which I was a kid, you know, it's, it's good to defend your kids, but, um, I would say that, you know, it was good to be different, but it was, um, it was a lot to be to be weak or to be um, hurt or yeah. scared or sad. That's one of my second favorite questions to ask, you know, because I feel like everybody grows up differently, different households, different backgrounds, you know, culture is just so different. And it's always dope to hear, you know, different answers to that question. Now, thank you, you know, for being open and honest about that. Yeah, of course. Um, my next question for you, you know, there's a stigma, right, surrounding mental health. And that there's a stigma right on men's mental health. What do you say to that stigma that says, men, we can't cry, we can't be weak, we can't be depressed, you know, we can't have emotions, we have to man up. What do you say to that stigma? 
I think it's unrealistic, and especially as gender norms are being like broken down uh, yeah. with our generation. Um, I'm I'm 35, so I'm somewhere between the generations. I, I admire what's going on with the younger generation, yeah. people younger than me, and I'm grateful for what they're doing. Yeah. Um, especially with with men's mental health, um, women's mental health has always been an urgent need but men are starting to be seen as people especially through professional athletes and, and musicians and all that yeah. um people who need a place to go and a language to use um so i haven't had that language until i got into the mental health community through my diagnosis hospitalization all that kind of thing yeah. um the idea that we have to be tough is unrealistic because we are one half of the population or at least 49 percent of the population yeah <laughs> um and uh and the fact that we would be seen as needing less support from the other half doesn't make sense. We're all human. Um, we're just 49% of those humans. And to say that one side needs more or one side needs less or um, yeah. has more issues or, or, or handles them differently, you know, it, it's kind of a, a weird idea that I think kind of grew over time. And, and, and especially in my parents' generation and their parents was really ingrained. And I, I love seeing that it's not so much anymore um, being accepted or ingrained or passed on, passed forward. Yeah, I hate the stigmas around, the, around it because we just like losing so many men that are suffering in silence. And it's just so sad sometimes, you know, if people feel like they can't open up, they can't talk about mental health because something is frowned upon, you know. I feel like little by little, we're kind of getting better with being talking about it. A lot of men are open up and talk about um, not being okay, having depression, anxiety, whatever, you know, whatever that is. I just know that we got to, in this world, we have to do better, you know. Um, no one should have to suffer in silence. Yeah. Um, my next question, before we get to the next question, I'm going to say anybody out there that's struggling, maybe thoughts of suicide or, you know, any suicide ideation or deep, dark depression, there is a suicide prevention crisis line out there. All you have to do is dial 988. Yeah. Not, you know, the easiest number now, 988. If you need any support, you know, it's an app called Stigma that you could download. Um, shout out to the owner of Stigma. Um, Stigma is basically an app that, you know, if you need hope, you know, across, you know, you could post that you need hope. Tell them what you're going through. Somebody from anywhere in the world that has that can give you hope and talk to you. And, you know, me and AJ are co-facilitators at Nami Bus County, PA. Yep. We have free support groups from... Saturday through Thursdays, I can make sure I get that right. Saturday through Thursday, there are different support groups. They are free. They are not intended to replace therapy. I'm not a mental health professional, but <laughs> the groups are amazing. Um, there's so many resources out there, guys. And for, for um, I said all that, I want to get to the next question. Have you ever dealt with um, any thoughts of suicide or suicide ideation? I can answer it first. You know, I dealt with it. Um, I still deal with it because, you know, I'm a sexual abuse survivor, you know, sexually abused as a child. I told my male cousins, you know, grief got me to, you know, 2019 lost my mom, but now I'm lost my sister. You know, I still deal with this day, but what keeps me pushing is doing this podcast, you know, the support groups for NAMI that I go to, whether I facilitate or not, I just know when I go to them support groups and nobody in the outside world understand what I'm going through, I know that when I go to the support group, they're going to understand. So, yeah. All the floor is all yours, AJ. Yeah, the groups are a safe haven, and you yeah. you mentioned all the groups. The the reasons the groups are amazing, and yeah. I think the one that really stands out for me is confidentiality. 
Because, you know, I tell my wife and I tell my parents and I tell my work friends sometimes, you know, I can talk to you about certain things, but there's nowhere I can go where I can talk about anything except my 12-step meetings and those NAMI rooms. Um, Those are the places I can go because it's confidential, because it's created so carefully to be a safe space. Those are the places I feel comfortable going to talk about anything, Um, which speaks a lot because I'm, I'm pretty comfortable talking with the outside world about stuff, too. Um, as far as suicide goes, yeah, I have had um, feelings of wanting to not live. Um, I've never had, uh, you know, they, they stop calling it attempts so much, but I, I've never tried to take my own life. I've never taken any action. Um, and I've I've never gotten any formal support for what I was feeling at the time. I was only 12, 13 years old, I think, at the time. But I remember saying, and my family remembers me saying very clearly, I want to go to sleep and I don't want to wake up. And that for me was saying, I don't want to live. Um, And my parents knew immediately, my mom, especially again, um, knew immediately what those words meant. And I think I remember her sitting um, on the couch with me all night. And then when it was time to sleep, she lay down uh, on the floor in front of my bed so that if I got out of bed, she would know. And again, very, very much um, putting themselves out to take care of us and being protective and wanting Wanting safety for us and the best for us. And safety meant, you know, staying relatively close to home and things being provided for us. And then as we started to get older, um, you know, I dealt with other things. I dealt with anxiety, bipolar disorder, which, you know, has mostly mania for me, but sometimes depression. Um, I dealt with psychosis during a manic break. Um, Yeah, bipolar break. So I dealt with a lot of symptoms. Um, Depression was one that I've I've had for yeah. long stretches, especially since the pandemic and the isolation. Um, but I haven't had the desire to not live since since around that young age. And I can remember a lot of what was going on during that time, and it was really really breaking me down. Oh, wow, um, so sorry while you've been through my brother. And I want to say, you know, you are definitely not alone. Um, Appreciate and that. any anybody out there that's struggling with any thoughts of suicide, suicide issue, deep dark depression, remember guys, suicide prevention lifeline number is nine eight eight. The stigma app is out there on all Androids and iPhones, and Navi Bus County It's Navi everywhere. But I we volunteer at Navi Bus County, and the support groups are amazing. Everybody from around the world comes to these support groups. Like I said, there's different support groups. There are grief support groups, alternatives. A suicide group is back. We have BPD, you know, body image group. Um, we have peer. We have Black Minds Matter. We have LGBTQ plus groups. groups. Yeah, yeah. So many groups, and they're yeah. free. Like we, they do not intend to replace therapy. I'm not a mental health professional, but they are so dope to be in community for people that are going through mental health issues that can support you and lift you up. So dope. Yeah. It's been the uh, biggest mental health change in my life has been uh, first getting into therapy. I think that was the number one change. Medication was a slow change over a lot of years, trying to get the right med mix. Um, But as far as organic support goes, I think NAMI is probably the community that I belong to the longest and belong to the closest um, that has helped me. Yes, and that gets into my next question. How did you introduce the NAMI? Uh, So I actually was a facilitator before I started 
going to the groups and before they were virtual um i was kind of in the the not the pilot class but one of the graduating classes where we were still meeting in churches um at eight o'clock at night in Percocy, oh. which is all back roads with a lot of deer oh, <laughs> so i would make the drive down sunday nights um and i very much remember the day that i had to call nick and say hey i'm not able to run a support group right now i just don't have it in me and I don't know how far he drove, but it wasn't a short distance all yes. the way to that church in Percocy to fill in for me. And somewhere along that drive for him, he picked up the phone because I called him and I said, I want to come to the group as a member. And he was all about it. And so yes. I remember going there for the first time as a member, not a facilitator, co-facilitator. Yeah. Um, and that allowed me to go back again and again and again um, in different roles in different dynamics, but between being a co-facilitator and a member, having the freedom to do both is, has really helped me. Yes, um, I can share my story. Um, so I never heard of NAMI at all. I remember at my aunt had like a, a event, it was about sexual abuse and domestic violence. And I was one of the, the people tell their story and um after that speaking in front of people i was nervous as hell but speaking in front of people i was like you know what i want to like i got so much feedback i did the video on facebook had like over a thousand views and i didn't expect it i'm not like like you know then nobody want to hear about no man speaking about sexual abuse but it was like a thousand people heard my story and was showing me so much support and um it made me just want to like you know do something else and shout out to my friend natasha because i was like she's a um, counselor at school I was like, I want to, you know, do something. I want to, like, do something to mental health. You know, maybe I found my thing that I want to do. I don't know what it is. And she looked up some information and found Nick information. And it took a while for Nick to get back. So I was almost about to give up. I was almost about to give up. That's when, you know, COVID happened. And then he told me, he said, hey, would you like to do any of the signs? I was like, sure, I would do that anything. He said, I think it would be good, if, you know, facilitating a support group. Yeah. I didn't know what that was. And it's crazy because every time I tell my story, I never started off coming to groups. I always started off as a facilitator. So I didn't know what the group dynamic was. You know, I started off with Black Minds Matter group. And then I started asking like, hey, can I do other groups? Just to get to know other people and just be in these other groups. I didn't want to be subject to one group. I just wanted to, you know, be all around, can do, you know, any, not all groups, but like most of the groups. And um, not, doing NAMI has changed my life. I think I always say this, like, because I say this to people, because of NAMI, I'm able to do my podcast because, like, if it wasn't me facilitating groups, I wouldn't have no podcast, no mental health check-in. You know, doing that and giving feedback and going and getting support, I was like, you know what? I can turn, like, this is good, you know? I didn't know I had this in me. So, you know, I always are, you know, thankful for NAMI, Bus County, because, like, they're amazing. They're dope. <laughs> One of the best groups and guys, I didn't even know my, you know, my community, black community, I didn't even know that was like available. Me and Reggie had a conversation about that. He was like, he didn't even know NAMI was available. I'm like, I didn't even know it was a NAMI either, you know. Yeah. I'm so happy to find it. Um, my next question for you is um what are some coping skills that you could recommend to somebody that's struggling with their mental health? And I just want to say this to the viewers. I'm trying to say this more often. Our coping, my coping skills, AJ coping skills may not work for you, but you know we want to throw some coping skills out there because you just never know what might work for you. Yeah, I struggle with this one a little bit because I can only recommend what I've tried or especially what works for me. Um, and I honestly haven't really um, 
you know, dove too deep into the coping skills that I could try or that I could use because the ones that I have used have worked for me consistently. So I really yeah. need to branch out and try more. Um, the ones that I've tried that I haven't stuck with, I guess I'll start with those, are meditation. Um, I learned how to pay attention to my body and my breathing. And the part that I focus on is the bridge of my nose and feel the yeah. air coming in and out and the muscles relaxing. I was amazed to find out that there are muscles on the inside of your nose and that if you focus long enough, you can actually feel them expanding and contracting, which was really oh, cool. Wow. Um, so that's the spot that I focus on when I try to be mindful. Um, I can't say that I meditate. I haven't gotten that that far into it. Um, other ones that I've tried that I haven't stuck with, journaling. I really should... I, I won't use the word should. <laughs> I really could could journal more. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, but I haven't so far. And that's been recommend, recommended to me recently uh, by my supervisor at work. So I think I'm going to give that mm. another try. Um, ones that I've tried that I've stuck with for a while and then set back down are exercise. Um, I kind of, you know, relax into that, relax out of it. Um, walking in nature has really helped going for hikes, going for just oh, walks around the park. Um, that's actually what ha helped me most with my anxiety attacks. So um, my anxiety attacks are, are pretty brutal. Um, I think most people who experience anxiety attacks would say the same. Um, mine take yeah. on kind of a, um, a hyper-focus. So I hyper-focus on hard consonants. So the letters T, D, K, P, um, that kind of stuff. So it takes a lot to break me out of that. Um, I used yeah. to rely a lot on medication. I've since, you know, started to use my coping skills alongside that. And the only one that I can really consistently rely on if I have anxiety attacks is walking through a park. Um, something about there being yeah. no words, no people usually. Um, and, and being in nature really, really helps. Um, so that's one that I don't use all the time, but when I do use it, it works. Yeah. Um, and then the ones that I use the most often are talking. I need to talk at the end of my day. That's not something I can do. That's something I need to do. <laughs> I need to tell somebody how my day went. Um, and I have the people in my life. I'm, I'm very lucky to have the people in my life who will listen to me talk yeah. for uh, a long time sometimes about that. Um, I need to work because I need to feel productive. Um, when I wasn't working, I was doing some kind of volunteer work. And when I wasn't doing that, I was working on my mental health and treating that like my full-time job. Yeah. Um, my mom taught me that working on your mental health is a full-time job um, between yeah. all the things you have to do with appointments and medications and, um, and just the nitty, really gritty work. Um, but I, I need a sense of purpose. And so I need to be doing something with my time. Um, talking, working. Um, I would like to go back to school. That would be fantastic. I really thrive yeah. when I'm in that environment, but that's been on pause for scheduling reasons um, for yeah. quite a while now. I'm thinking uh, spring might be the time to go back, but we'll see. Um, and then the last thing I do, and I, I happen to have them here because they're always in front of me on this table that I'm at, is um, uh, either play Magic the Gathering or organize my Magic the Gathering cards. <laughs> it's just this uh, this social group I've gotten into and this card game that I've gotten to really love and, and be a part of. Um, it's just a, a trading card game for people who know Pokemon cards. It's similar to that. Yeah. Um, and it's just really helped me because it provides me kind of a sensory thing, you know, sorting the cards, organizing them is very um, uh, calming for me. It's therapeutic. Yeah. Um, and I could do that anytime in my home. And then it's, it's connected me to a whole incredible social network with somebody I really value who I work with 
um, at St. Luke's Penn Foundation and a whole network of friends from that. Um, every week on Thursday um, in the evening, we, we meet and play this game. Um, and so I'm really, really grateful for that social connection. I have my meetings and I have people there, um, but to be able to do something relaxing and social and something that engages my mind really, really, really helps. Um, so that's one of my number ones as far as coping skills go. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, my next question for you is, um, what are you doing in today's world to help with mental health? I already, um, I already know what you do. But, you yeah. know, <laughs> just like let people know. I mean, we've we've done it together. We've been side by side as co-facilitators in the groups yeah. and side by side as members. So um, I, I really value being able to do that. Um, and it, it's been incredible for me to feel um, connected to people and to have yeah. that mutual support, to be able to draw from support from people and then give it back yeah. in the same hour or the same day or week. That That's awesome. Um, right now, I feel like my place is in an inpatient environment. Yeah. Um, which is where I come from initially. Uh, my first introduction to mental health was through hospitalization, um, which can be really traumatic um, for a lot of reasons for a lot of people. Um, and it was for me, but the help that I got at the second hospital that I went to um, was enough. It was enough to get me to a safe place where yeah. I wasn't safe when I went in um, and start me on the path to at least at least understanding what mental health was. And what my diagnosis is. Um, so, yeah, I would say that returning to the inpatient environment as an employee now uh, with St. Luke's Penn Foundation has been really incredible because I get to see people who um, are going through some of the same symptoms, uh, certainly some of the same aspects of bipolar disorder, but also schizophrenia, um, hearing voices uh, for people who are in the hearing voices community. I know. Um, there are a lot of amazing people who see hearing voices as an experience um, yeah. rather than a, a symptom or a diagnosis, which is yeah. awesome. Um, yeah, all kinds of things, depression, anxiety, um, substance use um, disorders, which can be really challenging for people when they when they coexist with mental health. Um, and just, just people who have been turned away or turned down or... Um, or tossed around by life a lot. Um, so getting to work with people who are in those circumstances, in that environment is kind of, is taking me back to my roots. And I realized after, you know, years and years of this work that being on the ground and working with people really, really makes me feel valuable. I feel like I'm connecting with people one-to-one, -one, connecting with people as a group, um, because primarily what I do on the unit is uh, facilitate support groups. Um, music support groups, um, we've done structured journaling, we've done 12-step groups, um, we've done bowling for compliments, <laughs> which oh, has wow. been pretty cool. That's a, that's a favorite. Yeah. Um, but then, yeah, in between groups, I get to meet with people one-to-one -one and, and really talk about why they're there and, and what they want to see in their next hour or week or month, um, yeah. where they plan to go from the, from the unit really matters and it's been amazing i've i'm a certified peer specialist that's why i, was, I, get I, was, either, I was waiting for you to mention it oh my yeah, god yeah. I'm like, I yeah, that's that's my uh yeah that's the certification i have that's the training yeah. and the education that i have to do what i do um the training is awesome but the real qualification is having gone through some shit um yeah. i've i've been through some shit so i can talk to people who have also 
who are going through shit really actively yeah. current. Um, so I think, I think that's an unseen, unheard population. And yeah. so when I work with them, I try to let them know that they are valuable to each other and valuable to the staff, certainly to me. Um, and also valuable when they leave. I try to let them know that community support program exists so that they can leave, maybe get their feet under them, a um, couple weeks, couple months, whatever it takes. But in that year, go to a CSP meeting and talk about what it's like to be on an inpatient unit as as somebody who's there to get help um, and talk about what it, you know that system needs and what it can benefit from and um, have that voice be heard and, and be seen um, so that that community gets more opportunity to, to grow. Um, I'm lucky that I'm with St. Luke's because that unit is literally growing. We're going from 19 beds to 32 um, and making a lot of changes along with that. But, uh, you know, the more the better as far as help goes and appreciation and understanding goes for people in those environments. Because um, I very clearly remember being in that environment and being cut off from most of the world, relying on visits and phone calls for connection yeah. to the outside and, um, yeah, it's a tough place to be. So I'm lucky that I get to do that. And what I do now as well is work on the uh, emergency department floor. Um, so people come in uh, out of the ambulance, really, um, quite a lot of the time. Um, they come from having no home, being displaced, unhoused. Um, they come from active addiction. They come from self-harm um, and and thoughts or actions for for taking their life um and they they come to an environment that's sometimes chaotic sometimes quiet but never really predictable um and they spend up to four five six days there sometimes you know best case scenario is they get the help they need they get a bed at an inpatient unit from that emergency yeah. department floor right away but the mental health system is so overworked and so uh, you know strained it's it's really at its limits and it has been for a long time that it can be a wait to get a bed and in that time rather than have somebody be alone and scared and confused and have their families feel alone and be scared and confused um they have invited me to be there to um, be a peer specialist and talk to them for an hour or two hours or however long that they need to talk um about what they've just gone through and about where they might be going um, and then talk to the families as well, because the families do a lot of caretaking and, and supporting um, for people who are going through that. Um, so that's what I get to do now. And I could talk about it for hours and hours and hours because I love this. I love getting to do this work. Um, but I've done a lot of things over the years, and this is where I feel most valuable. And I love that, you know, just doing this work for mental health. Like I applaud you. Thanks. It's so inspiring because, you know, I was hoping that you was going to mention the CPS. I was like, yeah. he's mentioned what you mentioned. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. This is the mental health professional, not me, guys. Yeah. Um, my last question for you, I want to ask you, I want you to um, tell the viewers out there that's listening, um, why is it important to put your mental health first? Because if you have a diagnosis, or even if you don't, even if you never have a diagnosis in your life, um, internal brain chemistry and external factors are going to test limits. Your brain's limits, your body's limits. Sometimes people don't even have um, a strong um, 
overwhelming need for mental health support, but they work so hard and they work such long hours and they don't get enough sleep and they don't have enough nutrition. Uh, there's so much that can break a person's body down. That alone can start to wear on your mental health, um, let alone you know, have, have internal brain chemistry stuff like, like my chemical imbalances that um, cause mental health um, yes. issues. But I, I think it's important because your body and your brain can only take so much. And if you don't care for it, it's going to break down the same way a car does. If you don't put oil changes into it and car tires and rotations into it, if you don't take care of it, it's going to last you less. It's going to have less of a lifetime. Yeah. And what I hope for people is that they have long, healthy, supported, supportive lives where they can help and be helped um, and that they have purpose. But if you just keep the car in the driveway and you don't use it, yeah. that's, that's no way to go about using your car. And if you run it all over the place and never take care of it, you know, that's, that's no way to take care. That's no way to use a car either. Um, best case scenario is you're out and about with a yeah. destination, hopefully relatively smooth roads, but you know, you're going to have some potholes in Pennsylvania and Jersey at least. Um, yeah. And, uh, and take care of your car is the best way. It's the best metaphor I can use for it. Um, take care of your body like a car, take care of your brain like a car, and it'll take you where you need to go. Um, for me, that was therapy. Uh, for me, that is medication. Um, so a lot of things can, can really help that. But without those things, um, you run the risk of, of ending up in a ditch. And, and I don't want any, that for anybody because that's a really hard, hard place to be. I've been there before, so it definitely is a hard place to be. Yeah. Um, I really want to say, like, you know, people, put your mental health first. Your mental health should come first because nobody's going to put it first like you are. I know some of us are pleased we like to, you know, make sure everybody else is okay, you know, make sure this is okay, this is okay. But you have to start within yourself first. You got to make sure you're okay so you can be there forever. So make sure you put yourself first and your mental health first. I know, you know, I'm saying this again, I know we want to be there for others, but if we're not okay, we cannot truly be there for others. And yeah. I just want to say thank you, AJ, for coming on the podcast. Thank you, my brother. This is my brother, my co-facilitator brother, my Nami brother, brother all across the board. Yeah. I want to say congratulations to AJ recently got married. So I'm just so yeah. happy. Yeah. That. Yeah. Thank you. And I thank you for coming on. Thank you for saying yes. Thank you for talking mental health, being a man, yeah. talking men's mental health too. You know, thank you so much, brother. Yeah, of course. I hope I get a chance to come back. I'll be around. You will. Oh, trust me. I'm going to have a group one, a NAMI group, NAMI group type of podcast. Trust me. I'm trying to plan it together. Definitely will be expert. All right. Thank you, Leek. I appreciate it.